0: podcast platforms be sure to give me a follow on facebook instagram and tiktok as well at matt stocks dj that way you can keep up to date with all of my live q a dates my dj performances and of course who's coming up on the show as well but without further ado let's crack on with the show shall we here we go
1: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care Slim Shady, I'm sick of him, look at him Walking around, grabbing his you-know-what Flipping the you-know-who Yeah, but he's so cute, though Yeah, I probably got a couple of screws up in my head loose But no worse than what's going on in your parents' bedrooms Sometimes I
0: wanna get on TV and just let loose But can't, but it's cool for Tom Green to hunt a dead moves My bum is on your lips, my bum is on your lips And if I'm lucky, you might just give it a little kiss And that's the message that we delivered, a little kid
2: Make sure it's natural. Yeah. Rolling. So I'm podcasting with Tom Green. Yeah, this is great. This is a nice little uh, recording studio you have here. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: It's an honor. Uh, For me as a kid growing up, You were, for me and many other people, I think, of my generation, a real pioneer of broadcasting. Yeah. What generation would that be? So, 86 was when I was born. 1986. So, I guess kind of mid to late 90s was my peak teen years when I'm discovering music, movies, comedy, and my personality is forming. So,
2: I would have come in late 90s
0: for you. You'd have come in late 90s, Tom Green show. I guess I discovered that when it was on TV in the UK. Would 99 be right?
2: 99, yeah. Yeah. How old were you in 1999?
0: Fourteen. So Fourteen years old. Okay, perfect, perfect, age.
2: perfect age for my show. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect maturity level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the Tom Green show.
0: But now, obviously, anyone could perhaps have the at least the technological capabilities to do what you were doing. Yeah. Then, not so much. Like, you had to have... A directional journalistic microphone. You've got, you've microphone, got more technology on this table here, probably. <laughs> Do you than think we so had for
2: the show? <laughs> well, I guess there's not a camera. Well, there no. is. There's the iPhone there. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Probably more technology on this table table than we had for the show. And before that, what were you doing? What was your sort of way into to comedy? Was it stand up to begin with? Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I did college radio and a bunch of stuff like that, yeah. And I did, uh, I was in school, I was studying broadcasting. So that's where I got into the video side of things. And, uh, and I was doing stand-up comedy,
0: yeah. So it was all kind of all there from the start. And yeah. music as well, were you kind of turned on doing to music, music early on?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I was doing music. I was making music in my home recording studio, uh,
0: making rap beats, and it was a lot of fun. So what kind of technology did you have to do that back in the 90s? Because you couldn't have just used your laptop. Uh, I
2: did. I had uh, I had keyboards and samplers and drum machines. So I had a, uh, I had an Akai S900 sampler right. and an Akai S950 sampler. I had a Roland U20 keyboard. I had a Tascam 4-track with a SMPTE uh, SMPT track timecode running on it. So I would sync all of the... Uh, all the electronics together with a time code click track. And then I would uh, sync that up to an Atari computer. Wow. And uh, that was basically my sequencer. Uh huh.
0: And I would just record the vocals onto, onto tape. Who were your guys from the hip hop world that were releasing records that had an impact on you? Public Enemy,
2: Tribe Called Quest. So the, the classics. The Beastie Boys, like on your jacket, Run DMC. Um, you know,
0: all sorts of stuff like that. Early, early hip hop—the pioneers, right? Yeah, yeah. And then later on, was it for the Freddie Got Fingered movie? Originally, you teamed up with Mike Simpson, or was the hip hop record pre that film? Because he produced your hip hop album yeah. as well, didn't he? Yes. But you was, also it was the music it was for, for Freddie
2: Got Fingered. I teamed up with Mike Simpson. Uh, he did the soundtrack for Freddie Got Fingered, who I I met from Road Trip. So really. I was really introduced to Mike Simpson through through the movie
0: Road Trip. And what was that like for you as a kid growing up? You know, I guess Paul's Boutique might have been one of the albums yeah. that was top of your list. Of favorites.
2: That was uh, that one, and Licensed to were my favorites. Right, I'd right. say Paul's Boutique was my favorite, actually. Yeah, and Completely. that was the one the Dust Brothers did, right? That was the yeah. one the Dust Brothers did because I just loved all the samples. Because that was the way I made music yeah, was yeah. sampling and looping. I would go down to the college station and just raid the jazz and funk and uh, you know, R&B records and just uh, sample everything onto a digital audio tape recorder. And then I would take the D,
0: the DAT recorder home to my house and I would sample off of that onto, onto my samplers. It's a more creative time. And maybe that extends to like instrumental rock music as well. I feel like now everything is available. There isn't that same problem solving creativity that people had in the early days, say 60s, 70s, and then 80s, it sort of peaked. I guess with hip hop and sampling, but would you agree with that or? Um, I'm actually
2: feeling more creative now, or as creative now as I was then. I I, I you think person, that just, but
0: maybe from like a musical standpoint, I guess.
2: Well, you know, I just think that uh, it's different. That's yeah. all. I mean, you, you, if if you say that, you know, technology is, I know what you're saying. Obviously, I, I agree with you, but. But I don't like to... It's not the
0: enemy of creativity. I
2: don't like to think of, of Pro Tools as the end of music. Yeah, yeah. You know, because <laughs> because we can go in and have, you know, as many tracks, infinite number of digital tracks at our disposal that we're now going to not think of anything new. It does make things a lot easier uh, to to record, but I think that that ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still... Content over form is what Mike Simpson told me actually from the dust brothers. It's 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 not really about how you record it uh, It's it's about the idea and the end result. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the idea So, you know, I, but I, I, I will say that it is a big part of the reason why I've gone full force into doing stand-up comedy because I believe that stand-up comedy there are no technical tricks it's you and an audience And there's no gadgetry involved. You know, you can do on your iPhone everything that you need to do to make a television show like the Tom Green Show in 1999. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go on my Instagram, you can see all these videos that I'm shooting and editing now that I'm shooting and editing on my iPhone.
0: Is that what you shoot on now, your iPhone?
2: Well, just for Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the technology on there is... High end, is, right? You know, you can you can shoot a video in ten minutes and cut it together, and have... do you edit on the phone as well? It's yeah, so just for my Instagram, uh, right, yeah. right, right? I'm shooting a documentary right now, and I'm doing that with you know, with with uh, you know, regular editing software and and, and What's shooting. the premise of that? Like a road tour movie? Uh, is it a tour movie? Yeah, yeah, about about this tour that's taken us from all across uh, Israel and Amsterdam wow. and all through the UK. So yeah, that. But I'm just saying that. That I, th- I think I said it, yeah. You know, I'm just saying that, you know, it's, it's it's gotten so much easier to make videos that everybody's doing it. And in that sense, it kind of makes dude. it um, a you know, little bit less. Thank you. We're having cups of coffee <laughs> right now. Thank Cheers, you. Tom. Cheers. Real Cheers.
0: pleasure, man. Real Coming. pleasure.
2: Thank you. Cheersing with coffee and water. Coffee. Hey, Michael, <sighs> can you close that door? Just, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. It just <laughs> makes me nervous. With the door open I get nervous. Feel like people are listening. You know, which obviously is the whole point of this. That's the end game. I want people
0: to listen. But not right now. We need intimacy, do Not we? right
2: now. I just want to talk to you right now. As if there's nobody
0: listening. Um tell me about some of the broadcasters that maybe inspired you from either a radio or television standpoint when you were starting out when you were young, when you were experimenting. Well
2: David Letterman was the number one inspiration for sure. I mean, as far as traditional, I know he probably wouldn't like to think of himself as traditional because he was such a, a you know, groundbreaking pioneer of, of the you know, show, yeah. irreverent late-night talk, but, but he was on NBC. So for as far as being somebody that was working within the traditional media, David Letterman was was my hero. But I also got so much inspiration from, like we talked about hip-hop music, from rap videos, from skateboarding, skateboarding videos. That was probably equal parts inspiration for the Tom Green show. So it didn't all just come from me wanting to replicate David Letterman. It came from me wanting to make guerrilla-type skateboard videos and stuff that didn't look like it deserved to be on television or should be put on television. That was always... The rawness that I liked from the, the early years of that stuff. So
0: Was that kind of the driving force? Was to not be shocking for the sake of being shocking, but to almost cut straight through and get people's attention?
2: Um, yeah, well, the driving force was I loved making videos. and um, And I was desperate to not get a job, a mm-hmm. real job. I'll drink to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was this sort of kind of real uh, fear of having to grow up and actually go out into the traditional workforce and and work in a real corporate job to to support myself. And so I really was looking for a, a, a loophole, a way mm-hmm. around that. Same. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's that's I think what.
0: Uh, did you enjoy school? Did uh, you fit in with the academic mold? I did not enjoy.
2: The academic side of school I mean I was I was a very good student Until high school Then I became distracted By uh, You know Extracurricular things Like making music And and Doing stand up comedy And
0: Well you were doing comedy In high school Yeah Wow, were yeah, You playing doing... like over eighteen or over twenty-one adult clubs? Or I was it?
2: playing at the comedy club in uh, in uh, Ottawa. Yuck, yucks. Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a, a fierce attitude to have at a young age. Was it scary being in front of adults, or was it almost less so because you knew you could? Be uh, more it irreverent
2: was. It and, was more scary than because you didn't have any reference point. Right of of what adult you life. should be talking about. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had no no. I mean, I. Uh, started doing stand-up comedy before I'd, uh, you know, had sex, you know? <laughs> I don't want to look at you while I say that because yeah, like, you're sitting right there. Yeah, he did notably turn a, away it's then as well. a weird thing to talk about. Like the thought. Well, you know, so me. you're on stage talking about funny observations and, you know, you've never really experienced life, so... Talking about your paper round or something or...
1: Yeah, <laughs> stuff
2: like that, talking about funny TV commercials and... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, goofy things that happened at school, and it was sort of a novelty for the first couple of years. But I was, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty tall kid. I was six foot, you know, six foot three when I was sixteen years old. So it wasn't like I was some little kid standing there. At um, what age
0: did you get the goatee as well? Because I always remember you having that. Uh when I was around
2: seventeen or eighteen, I started that. That's pretty early too. Yeah,
0: after I, st- I I got that
2: after I started doing stand up. That that was came little little later, you know. I
0: think people associate me with
2: the goatee. You've yeah, got a goatee. I
0: know it's not in tribute to you. I've kind of raised an awkward yeah. People people about associate now. me
2: with that though. So I haven't had a goatee in over ten years. But anytime I do have a goatee, people recognize me a lot more. Right. I Is think that, that might be partly why I have the beard. Out, yeah. It's nice to be able to walk around and not constantly be talking about uh i saw a moment ago we're talking you tweeted about right now. a little
0: picture from just by the ball ring what's that i saw a moment ago you just tweeted a little picture of you just hanging out by the ball ring up there and obviously it's good that you can do that just yeah. mingle in the cities that you're staying in and well I, that was taken around. from the car oh okay yeah i just took that out the window as window we drove down. past yeah but it's, it's, a it's not too bad building in there this is my hometown and it's a monstrosity i think yeah it's a weird <laughs> building i liked it isn't it we drove in like to a ship just what is that there? building it's like a shopping precinct, like a mall. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a nice-looking mall.
2: It looks like it's sort of like uh, built to withstand an asteroid <laughs> right. attack or something. <laughs>
0: yeah. So when you're doing all these things, so you're doing stand-up comedy, you're making hip-hop, you're making videos, what starts taking off first? Um, well,
2: I guess it was the rap group. I got a record deal when I was 19 years old. I'd been doing stand-up for about, you know, four years or something like that, three or four years. And we got this record deal in Canada with my group Organized Rhyme. And uh, I actually quit doing stand-up and I went and pursued the, the music and toured with the band and did that for a couple of years. Who did you play with? Did you get to do uh, any we play, we big shows? We played mostly on our own, but we did a couple of big shows with the Bare Naked Ladies. Really? Amazing. Were a hu- huge band in Canada at the time. They hadn't broken in the U.S. yet. but um, I didn't even realize they were a Canadian band. Yeah, they're, right. from, they're from Toronto, and we were from Ottawa, and that was kind of very exciting for us because we got to play in big stadiums and things like that a couple of times with them. But for the most part, we just did our own shows. And um, all over Canada, or just in the no, sort of just local? sort of in the local area. We went, uh, we went, did a show down in New Jersey once, which was pretty cool with Third Base. <laughs> right um, never actually got to meet Third Base, but we went down and opened for them. And, Do they know uh, that now? Are they aware? Uh, that Tom I don't Green... think they know that. No, I don't <laughs> think they know. They were playing at Rutgers University in uh, in New Jersey, and we drove down and were one of. A couple of acts that opened for them and uh, we did weird stuff though I think they would have appreciated what we were doing we brought laundry baskets and at mid-show we would put laundry baskets on our head and just start doing this slow synchronized rotation um, <laughs> which and the whole audience which a was show before yeah and the whole audience was a all-black audience in New Jersey everyone coming out to see you know a rap concert and, uh, you know, literally, uh, you know, the other guy in the group and I were, like, the only white kids there, you know. And we were on stage with laundry baskets on our head. And people loved it because I think they, we weren't really, like, trying to look hardcore, you know. We weren't hardcore. We were two goofy kids from Ottawa. But I think the fact that we kind of kept it real like that. And our beats were, were dope, you know what I'm saying? Word. Or <laughs> we we had like you know we had you know, we had like really serious uh, hip hop beats so so and we could rap so it was kind of uh, it
0: went over well. What were you doing lyrically? Were you doing sort of funny tongue in cheek stuff? Was it serious? Was it surreal?
2: Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was just literally the same songs that you can go listen to on YouTube right now. It was kind of us trying to be like the Beastie Boys, right? Just not as good, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a pretty high standard to yeah. you know set the. Yeah, the bar I mean out.
2: we we love the we love. I mean, I, I would say that we didn't listen to the Beastie Boys exclusively. I mean, I, I, I was more into Public Enemy and uh, and Tribe Called
0: Quest. but Because um, you're white. That's the obvious comparison, right? Yeah. Do yeah. you get compared a lot to Andy Kaufman? Because I know stylistically there's a lot of differences, but there's also a lot of similarities.
2: I'd never, this is a, an odd thing, but I'd never heard of Andy Kaufman. Until... Right now. The Man on the movie. Yeah, right now. Until right now. <laughs> no, when the Man on the Moon movie came out. Well, maybe uh, that is. And I was actually going through cancer at the exact same time as the Man on the movie, Moon movie came out, which was about Andy Kaufman getting cancer. I know it seems odd to think that I didn't know Andy Kaufman, but I just didn't... It was just... I think it was very American comedy. I mean, he... Just sort of, and I was too young for it, you know. I, it was just I was just before the time of Andy Kaufman, you know. I mean, I, I watched the show Taxi, but I never really liked that show. No. And when I think about it, in hindsight, I go, oh, I guess I remember that guy from Taxi, but I don't really remember him being on Taxi all the time, I, and I never really watched Taxi. Taxi was one of those shows that was always on TV, but I never watched it because it was from 10 years before I understood what what, what it was and what they were talking about. I was born in, you know, I mean, probably peak peak Andy Kaufman years, I
0: was probably 10 years old. Right. So I was a little too young for it. But It's after- interesting you should say that you got cancer at the time that movie came out, though, because that, I think, is something he would do in the same way that you did that Tom Green cancer Oh, yeah. Special. Everyone
2: was coming up to me saying, oh, is this like an Andy Kaufman thing? Do you not really have cancer? Are you pulling a prank on us? This is... This is a joke. And then but let, let, let me say in, in you know retrospectively, I've you know, as soon as I found out who Andy Kaufman was. The other thing was the first time I the first time I heard about Andy Kaufman was just a little before that. We did a bit on my show in Canada before MTV, it was right before MTV, where I drove the entire audience home from the show. After the show, I went out to the audience. We had these we had these spray guns. And I sprayed the entire audience down with water and soaked the entire audience completely without telling them that we were going to do it. And it was in the middle of winter and it was freezing out. In Canada. And, and they, nobody could leave and they were soaked. And people couldn't believe we did it. And I can't believe we got away with that. And it was probably one of the meaner things that I've ever done on my show. But everybody, it didn't really come off mean anyways because people were so excited to be there getting sprayed down. Randomly that everyone was laughing The audience was laughing As they were getting soaked Then after the show Everyone said Well how can we leave And we said Well we've got a bus for you We're going to drive you a home You don't have to walk Through the cold So then we spent the whole night Driving the audience home And people were getting mad It was taking forever To drive the audience home Um And um I and remember at the end of the night, somebody said to me, "Hey, that's like an Andy Kaufman thing where he took the audience home for milk and cookies." I saw you have milk and cookies. Yeah, 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 yeah And yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of that bit before, and I just thought, "Wow, that sounds cool." But it was just a mention. It was the only time I ever heard a mention. And you know, I remember thinking, "Yeah, yeah, sure, it's like an Andy Kaufman thing. Like, uh, I don't know who that is, but." But no, it's not like an Andy Kaufman thing. Nobody's ever sprayed the audience down with water before in the middle of winter and drove them home in a bus. You know? <laughs> I was in my head thinking you know, we were so much more outrageous than anybody could possibly have been before us, You know, is what my mind was thinking. But we really were kind of pretty cocky kids. You know, When we came up to the show, we thought we were doing stuff that no one had ever done before. So when anyone ever suggested that somebody had done something similar, I would always kind of close my mind off to that and say, no, I doubt it. I doubt it. But, uh, but it turned out he did drive the audience uh, out for Milk and Cookies on a bus. And uh, when the movie came out a couple years later, I think it was when I moved to New York to do the show on MTV, a lot more people started mentioning Andy Kaufman. I just think he was a lot more well-known in the United States. And so uh, then I started looking into who Andy Kaufman was. I remember the first time I met Jim Carrey it was right when the movie was coming out. And the very first thing he said to me was, he said, Hey, I like your show. Do you like Andy Kaufman? And I, I still didn't know who he was, really. And I, I, I sort of did now. And I just kind of said, "Yeah, yeah, I like Andy Kaufman." I knew the movie was coming out. I didn't want to say I didn't like Andy Kaufman to Jim Carrey, who just spent, you know,
0: he's, he's he went method in that role, didn't he? Yeah, he's so good in that. I role.
2: think that was actually probably when the first time I heard of Andy Kaufman was when I heard about him. I heard about Jim Carrey doing the. I was in, I was in Toronto, uh, shooting. As a, uh, I was in a small role in the movie Superstar. It was right before the show got picked up by MTV, and I heard that Jim Carrey was shooting Man on the Moon about Andy Kaufman, and everyone was talking about Andy Kaufman. And I guess Jim Carrey had done you know, a wrestling sketch where he made everyone believe that he actually broke his neck on the set of the movie, which is a total Andy Kaufman thing. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a news story that Jim Carrey had hurt his neck filming the movie, and and everybody was talking about it. That was when I really, first really, really knew who Andy Kaufman was. But uh, anyways, regardless of, of not knowing about him when everybody else did, I went back and studied Andy Kaufman afterwards and looked at everything I could look at of his, went down to the Museum of Television and Radio in Los Angeles, watched all of his his shows, watched his his pilot for his talk show, and... And uh, everything that he's done, I've seen now, and I love Andy
0: Kaufman. That Tony Clifton character for me is one of my favorite comic creations yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. And again, not to kind of draw on that similarity, but there's definitely for me a, a parallel between the MC face and yourself and that hateful, so relationship between that character and, and you. And yeah. That's yeah. obviously what Andy Kaufman did with Tony Clifton is you never see the two of them in the same room. And
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It was, uh, it was incredible. It's, uh, you know, I, I I sometimes think that, I mean, as, as many Andy Kaufman fans do, I, I, I really sometimes hope that it is a big prank and that he's, is not, uh, that he didn't pass away from cancer and that he's going to come back someday and, and surprise everybody.
0: We can hope. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can I get real with you for a second, Tom? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. At that point What in has time- it been up till now? Has it been uh, fake up till now? It's been. This has been like the the first course. Yeah. Now I want to go straight to the main because yeah. I know you're tired and I don't want to keep you for long. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And I want to ask you a personal question about what happened with your illness because yeah. about three years ago I broke my spine. Ouch. Three places. Oh my gosh. Was in hospital for three months. Okay. Like eight hours away from death. It was numb. Wow. And in that moment, sorry to hear that. It changed my outlook and perspective on life. Yeah. So much, and it got me thinking about in the lead up to this conversation, you at that point in time when you were probably like the peak of your fame and popularity, right? was exactly when you got sick. Yeah, it was. What a crazy whirlwind to be in anyway, healthy, and then that comes into the mix. How did that affect you at the time and and what did that experience teach you, do you think now looking back at it? Because it was such a brave, raw, vulnerable thing you did filming it all in the way that you did as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was just... uh, so inspiring. It was a really uh, horrible... Uh, horrible timing I mean it's never good timing to get cancer but uh, but that was probably the worst time to get cancer regardless uh, because the show was on MTV it's why I stopped doing the Tom Green show you know people don't know that I mean generally people don't know that the show was the number one show on MTV and I quit you know at the peak of the show's popularity to go deal with my cancer and um and uh then when i finished with my cancer i had several movie offers and you know i'm like it's hard to sit here and complain about how horrible of a time it was when i had you know four movie offers lined up and i went from my cancer surgery right on to the set of saturday night live where i was hosting snl and then went from movie set to movie set to movie set for the next two years you know shooting films and and doing incredibly well. It's hard to sit here and complain. Oh no, what a bad time to be sick! I mean, it it sucked because it's uh, extremely painful uh, physically and emotionally. It's very very scary to think that you could, could be uh, confronting death. And uh, but um, at the same time, uh, you know, it taught me that you can uh, battle through horrible. Things that you would never expect, and uh, and still not let it uh, destroy you, and uh, and it also makes you very aware that uh, that life is fragile, and you have to be positive and and uh, enjoy and cherish every moment that you have. Not to sound cheesy, but it's it really does it really does kind of come to the forefront of your mind. You know, like I'll I'll have a I'll, I'll on a daily basis I'll have something pop into my head where I think to myself, you know, at least I'm not in the hospital today, you know, if I'm having a bad day and something bad has happened, something that, you know, if I had not been through that experience, it would be like a really big deal and I'd be really upset, but, you know, I'll be walking down the sidewalk thinking about some horrible thing, supposed horrible thing that just happened and i can just think well you know at least i'm not in the hospital right now with tubes running into my spine and on morphine and and uh fighting cancer you know uh you know it's, it could be so much worse and so it's really hard to it's really hard now to get really 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 upset about little things little things that would have been big things if i had not been through that so it's been a a, a positive experience overall i uh I say in my show, one of my jokes is I say, sometimes I think about my battle with cancer and I think I wouldn't trade it for anything, but then I think actually no, I'd trade it for my right testicle, I wouldn't mind getting that back. But, um, but it is true. I, 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 I do think that I probably gained more than I lost you know, from the cancer experience. I mean, they just took the right testicle. I mean, it's no big deal. I still got the other one. It's fine. It's the, the, I still have the left one. It's the middle one now. I'm doing my, I'm doing my jokes now. But, um, no, it's, uh, so it's, uh, it, it was a good thing. I took a lot away from it that was, and ended up being
0: positive. As a comic performer, what did the experience teach you about the meaning of humor in terms of its role in this world? And also, I guess, because you're quite a physical performer, did it slow you down or make you change your approach in any way? Because when you perform physically and then something like that happens, it's never too far from your mind for a while, is it?
2: Well, it was the reason why I stopped doing the Tom Green Show because I didn't have the sort of... First of all, I've been doing the Tom Green Show at that point for probably almost, almost 10 years. Maybe maybe seven years, which when you're when you're in your twenties feels like twenty years. You know, it was m- my whole adult life. You know, I started doing that kind of stuff when I was, you know, even before the Tom Green show. I started. I'd been doing it for ten years, running around on the streets doing pranks, right? So I didn't want to go out and get into confrontational situations with people anymore because I was in a lot of physical pain from having my, you know, I had a lymph node dissection, so it was more than just a minor surgery. I had to remove like my lymph nodes from the back of my spine. It was a massive surgery. It took me years and years and years to recover from it. Uh, I still actually feel physical effects of it, you know, as far as, you know, pain issues and things like that. But, you know, for the first couple of years, there was no way I wanted to go running around on the streets and getting chased by security guards and things like that. So that was your
1: goddamn
0: business where I'm going. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I did.
2: I just didn't want to get into confrontations with people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I also had done the show for so long that I was kind of, um, wanting to try something new. So, so I, uh, I stopped doing the show and, uh, started doing films and, uh, and, uh, you know, has it affected me um, physically now? I mean, my show is very high energy now, so I would say no, um, but... Um, Do you think there's more pathos in your material? But yeah, exactly. I, I knew there was a question I was forgetting. That's why I was trying to remember what the question was. Yeah, well, like I said, it's exactly what I was just talking about, you know, about being valuing the, the you know, every day and staying positive and, you know being in the moment and not worrying about the small stuff. all of that translates into my comedy and uh, and um, you know, I also I also think a lot about uh, about you know, just how fragile life is. I do a lot of material that's very dark in my stand-up show. I talk a lot about death. I talk a lot about uh, you know, morbid subjects, which to me, is cathartic because if you can laugh at, at, at dark morbid subjects, then it helps me personally cope with this sort of very present fear that I have of, of the end looming, for all of us. Um, and it does. I do think I do think about that way more than the average person because I've been, right there, you know, on the edge of it. Uh, on the precipice of death have stared it in the face I've been in that hospital but the kid beside me who had the same thing I had you know the 24 year old kid who had the exact same testicular cancer that I had he died you know I didn't die you know he was a fan of my show I remember I, he, the doctor said you know, the kid in the room next to you is a fan of the show and I went over and I said hello to him and had a nice chat and a year later he was dead and I was alive so you know he had the exact same thing that I had you know so, so it makes you realize just how fragile and uh, everything is, and uh, makes you want to uh, joke about it. So, so I think that's that's had an impact for sure. I wouldn't joke about that as much, for sure. I wouldn't think about about life in those terms if I had not had cancer. So,
0: yeah. Did that exp- with your parents and the I guess the way you've always filmed a lot of your life. Did you prep them early on? Did you include them as the Comedy and the career developed, and then just specifically with that cancer special. I mean, were they privy to all of those decisions with you, and did you very much respect the, the wishes of the people around you, your loved ones? Uh, they didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I
2: mean, they were on the show. Yeah, yeah. That's they, what I mean. The yeah. cam, cameras were pointing at them, but they were at this point used to being on camera because I'd done a lot of pranks, and they knew I was in LA doing the show. So, you know, um, when I decided to. I don't think I ran it past them, but uh, we looked at it like in, you know, sort of a, you know, I mean, there was a moment where, where I said, hey, let's film this. You know, our whole staff had moved from New York City to Los Angeles. People had given up apartments. People had, had given up. You know their lives in New York and moved out to L.A. because the show was doing so well, they assumed that we were going to be on the air for a few more years in L.A. And it was just a couple of months after we got to L.A. I had to stop the show. And so we thought, okay, well, here will be one last show we can do as opposed to coming in and sending everyone home. This, this is another month, at least, for people to film, another couple of months. And uh, it, it, uh, it wasn't really the reason we did it, but it was you know, we were in the middle of production, so we had the whole crew there, you know. It was kind of easy to say, hey, let's turn the cameras around on me, you know. Uh, it, I, it wasn't something that MTV instantly agreed to do. We had to actually really, uh, really lobby them to let me film it. Um, and eventually they did. I mean, it wasn't like they thought about it for weeks or anything, but they didn't say yes right away. And we had to push for them to let me do it. And, uh Then, uh, you know, the special that's aired on MTV, you know, many times doesn't air anymore. But but when it did air at the time, uh, it it raised so much awareness for testicular cancer that now here 15 years later or more, 17 years later, I've got people coming to my shows. You know, at least least once a week, somebody comes up to me after one of my shows and says that the reason they diagnosed their cancer was because of that, especially in the United States, because uh, MTV was... So, in rotation, the show that cancer special played on MTV, you know, probably a hundred times, you know, over the course of the months after I was diagnosed with cancer. And so, so many young teenage boys who would have never gone to the doctor went to the doctor because of that. And that's when you get testicular cancer when you're, you know, 15 to 35 years old. So, it was prime viewership for MTV. So, all of these kids went to the doctor, many of them didn't have cancer, but went anyways because they thought they had it. But so many people, like, it must, I, I don't know how many, but it must have been, you know, I mean, tens of thousands of people must have, I've, I've had letters from at least, a th- you know, I, I've had at least a thousand people have come up to me and said that, that the show saved their life over the last 10 years. its its It's surreal. I don't think anyone really knows that. I don't think I've ever even really said it. Like that, I mean, I've told people people come up to me all the time, but it's it's actually got to be close to a thousand people now have actually come up to me and told me. So I can't imagine how many people actually you know went to the doctor because of it and and haven't told me, you know, so what it's an amazing a, legacy, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I think MTV should air that show every year, you know but uh, but uh, you know, I don't I don't know. It, it, it's it's interesting. You know, television's changed, and uh, you know it was all shot on like four by three aspect ratio, and like it, I watched school.
0: it on YouTube last night, yeah. and it's like a square, isn't it? Yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, people can view it. It's the Tom Green Cantor special on YouTube. It's yeah. easy and accessible on there. Yeah.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Going back to your parents in the
0: early days, was there ever any sort of like fallout with them? Because it's quite a brave decision to put so much of your life on camera, isn't it?
2: No, and, there's not really. I right. mean, there was a little bit. There's times where they got angry and stuff. But uh, they, uh, they, you know... I mean, they did. They never, they never sued me or anything. No, no, no. They got really angry, you know. They got really <laughs> angry. But in hindsight, they're happy about everything. I mean, I've, I've done very well, and they're happy that I've, I've now touring the world. And I talk to my mother every couple of days, and I get emails from my parents, my mom and dad, every. Every, you know, the, the the Guardian wrote a nice article about me yesterday and I got a nice email from my dad this morning saying, you know, great article, you know, so they're very supportive parents, you know. I mean, I, I think the thing that um, I'm most excited about is what I'm doing now with my stand-up is, you know, is that I found that I have now finally, for the very first time in the last few years, even more so than when I was on MTV and everything was... You know, I feel like I have much more control over my career now than I've ever had. You know, I'm able to perform around the world. I don't have a network that can cancel me or say or take away what I'm doing. So I'm not living under this sort of this this blanket of fear. Like when you have a TV show, you're in fear because especially if it's successful. Yeah, because the ratings go down and then the network cancels you. Yeah. Or if you say something Mm -hmm. wrong, the network cancels you. Where, as with stand-up comedy, it's completely independent. And uh, I feel, for that reason, so much more in control of my life than I've ever felt. Uh, And that's why I love what I'm doing right now. I'm not really even out there actively chasing films or TV shows. I have a TV show in development and that's something that is... Exciting to me, but it's not my, my, my main focus, I guess. It's definitely a priority. I'd love to do a TV show that I'm, I'm writing a TV show right now that I, I, I'm excited about. But it's interesting. Like, now I want, I, I want to get a, this TV show on the air because it will help build my stand-up comedy, you know, not the other way around. You know, it's, I don't want to do stand-up comedy so I can get a TV show. I want to get a TV show so I can continue doing stand-up comedy. Um, so, it's sort of a promotional mechanism for my stand-up shows, you know, get a TV show and more people will come see me do stand-up, which is really my first love and now what I love to do. And, you know, and, and the freedom to be able to get up on stage and, and, and say whatever you want, talk about things that are completely absurd and ridiculous, that you don't have to run past some person who is approving every line. You do a TV show every single moment of that show. It doesn't matter how edgy the show is. You can look at any show on TV. You know, It's been run through executives and writers. and Yeah, sure, things eventually come out and they're, they're pretty funny and, and great and all of that stuff. But the process of making it is not...
0: It's laborious, right?
2: It and it's not just coming from the mind of one person. It's coming from the mind of a whole team of people. So, in order to make a great TV show, which is a fun and amazing thing to do, the process is more about building a team of a hundred people who can work well together to come up with this collective idea. But you're not really, you know, when you're watching your favorite comedian on a TV show, you're not really watching what's coming out of his mind. You're you're watching what came out of the 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 hundred people that work together to make this thing. Whereas when you're watching a stand-up comedian, you're watching that that person that you love, and you're watching what's coming out of their mind. And that's what I love about stand-up. That's why I love watching stand-up. It's unfiltered. And 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 in doing what I'm doing now, I don't. I you know, it's it's sort of it's sort of what I always wanted. You know, the reason why I got into doing the TV show in the first place was because I didn't want to have to have a boss. I didn't want to have to go to work. And I think that was the most disappointing thing when I ended up on MTV was we had executives there telling us what to do and what not to do and when to do it. And it was it was exactly what I was trying to avoid. You know, I was trying to avoid having this authority in my life. And so so with stand up comedy, there's none of that. You know, you got to you're in business for yourself. You got to make sure you show up to the venue. You got to you got to meet people and. Do interviews and promote your show and all of that, but it's you that's putting pressure on yourself. It's not someone else putting pressure on you. And to you do can something.
0: pick and choose and say, Yeah, no, yeah, okay, maybe no, yeah.
2: Exactly, exactly. I said, you know what, I wanna do your show. You know. Thank that's you, why Tom. I'm here. You know, Thank I want very to, much. I'm here. nobody nobody made me do this, you know. So, uh, I appreciate you coming down talking to me today. Yeah, thank you, because, you know, it's, uh, it's good. I understand you have, like, millions and millions of people that listen to your podcast. So, that's going to be amazing for me in the United Kingdom when millions and millions of your uh, listeners maybe find out who I am for the very
0: first time. <laughs> i appreciate it we'll see how the sales do for the next tour yeah and then if it works out good we'll have to do another right absolutely absolutely can we talk movies real quick would you want to get off you can say you do want to get off if you do
2: yeah real quick i mean what my movies
0: yeah i just wanted to ask you about your experience of making freddie got fingered because for me that's a hugely important cult film that i think has been reappraised in the way that it deserves since yeah. when it first came out uh-huh. i just wanted to know about your experience making it and then if there's perhaps any more in the pipeline well, I'm in a movie
2: that's coming out next year called Iron Sky. It's a sequel to this movie, Iron Sky. Uh, it's called Iron Sky Two. Um, the sequel, yeah, the sequel. And I, I, I play a really weird character in that. Um, like I said, I don't really chase down movies, but I am actually shooting a, a, a documentary right now, which is a feature length documentary about my stand up comedy tour that I'm on right now. So it's 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 going. You know, there's the 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 camera. Director and camera guy who I'm traveling with is here uh, in the hotel He's not not filming at this moment, but we'll be filming tonight and and that's gonna be good So people will be able to watch that and uh, and uh, You know, uh, yeah, it's amazing like, you know Freddie got fingered has always had like a huge fan base the only reason people think that it doesn't is because It was I guess kind of cool to write that it was a unsuccessful movie the movie's not unsuccessful. The movie is a financial success. You know, you can read any article about me, and they say, you know, the article that came out yesterday in a newspaper, I won't name the newspaper because I don't like throwing writers under the bus for getting their facts wrong, but, you know, the article, an article that came out yesterday here in the United Kingdom, not the Guardian article, but another article, called the movie uh, Financial... You know, bomb. It wasn't a financial bomb. The movie made money. It cost fourteen million dollars to make. It made fourteen million dollars in three days over its opening weekend. <laughs> Done. And then it made thirty-five million dollars on DVD. So it's a huge financial success, um, more than most movies. You know, most movies that cost one hundred and fifty million dollars to make, and then they make one hundred and fifty million dollars, and everyone says it's a success, but they broke even. You know. So there's, there's movies that lose massive amounts of money. Most movies lose money. But Freddy Got Fingered made money. So it's actually, by Hollywood standards, a huge financial success, something that never gets written. No one ever says that. Except for me right now, obviously I'm going to say it. But, um, you know, but that can be frustrating because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's uh, disingenuous for people to call the movie unsuccessful. And now, 17 years later, and... Uh, you know, I can't, I literally, not a day goes by where somebody doesn't throw a line from the movie or say, Daddy, would you like some sausage or do the backwards man or or or, or X-ray cat or a line from Freddie Got Fingered to Me every single day. People don't come up to me with lines from Stealing Harvard.
0: You know? <laughs> do, you or, or do you get Road Trip ever? Road Trip a little a bit. A little bit
2: from Stealing Harvard, a little bit from Road Trip. People say unleash the fury, and people say I'm not liquid John from from stealing Harvard. But, but I mean, it's just nothing in comparison to yeah, Freddy yeah. Got Fingered. And Freddy Got Fingered is like every single line of the movie. People know it gets you know because it's just it's such a bizarre and non traditional film that that people uh, you know sort of uh, you know it's one of those movies that if you like it you love it. If you don't like it, you either hate
0: it or you haven't seen it. Or a lot of people hated it and then now have gone, actually, I respect it and now I do like it. Like Roger Ebert, right? was like zero stars when it came out. Yeah, I
2: honestly don't know if there's there's people that hated it that now like it. I know Roger Ebert, you know, changed his review or whatever. But I, I think you instantly loved it or you instantly hated it. But I think that most people who think they hated it never saw it. That's really actually the case. You know, there's, there's going to be some people that saw it that hated it. It was designed to make people hate it. You know, you know if you're some uptight, you know, old person, you know, <laughs> who is, you know, conservative and, you know, doesn't want to see somebody swinging a bloody baby around by the umbilical cord in a hospital room, you know, if that doesn't appeal to you, of course, you're going to hate the movie. But that's why I was swinging the bloody baby around by the umbilical cord in the hospital room. I was trying to piss people off, you know, and, and, uh, and. But but everybody else that, that you, know, you know... Most people that see the movie understand that it's completely insane and like it, you know. So so uh, I think that was... That, that movie alone single-handedly made me learn to have complete distrust for the media. Because I realized it's all just people writing stuff... The, the people write the story they want to write. You know, they, they they want to write the story that, you know, you know, that this movie sucks. You know, because it's gross or because it's shocking. So they want to write that. They go into the movie wanting to write that. So they, they, there's no way they're going to be able to sit back and relax and laugh at the movie when they're walking into the they movie agenda. with yep. the agenda of destroying it. Yeah. So and then they write what they have the agenda of writing. Of course you can obviously sit down and pick it apart and come up with a way to say that it's uh uh you know a bad movie i mean it's it was designed to shock people
0: right so you know uh yeah so so that's what comedians are meant to do as well right is evoke reactions
2: yeah yeah so but honestly it's sort of i've sort of grown tired of talking about a lot of this kind of stuff not to say you know i know we're doing your podcast here and you want to talk about my life and stuff but you know I, i your eyes are forward. I th- I, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I don't want to, you know, I don't plan on spending the next 10 years of my life talking about, uh, you know, the Tom Green show and and, and Freddie Got Fingered. I like it. I like I like the fact that it's bringing people out to my shows. I have great fans, but I, I have talked about this stuff literally now for 15 years, you know. I can imagine. And what I love to make clear to people when I do an interview like this is that in my stand-up comedy show right now that I'm doing is funnier than anything I've ever done. If you if people think that you know oh that I loved the Tom Green show when I was in college that was the funniest thing I've ever seen, you know they should come to my stand-up show. They'll laugh harder. You'll laugh harder at my stand-up show than you would laugh watching Freddie Got Fingered. You know it's 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 a much more intense experience coming to my stand-up show. It's like Freddie Got Fingered live. You know without, you know it's 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 like it's a, it's an intense you know, high-energy, ridiculous, absurd comedy show. And because it's live and because we're all in the same room together, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a unique experience even for stand-up comedy. I want that to be the headline, you know, next time we do an interview. you know, okay, Next time right we on. do an interview, I want you to have been to one of my live shows. I'm coming tonight. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, want yeah. you to talk about the last time we, 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 you were at my show, and I want to talk for an hour about stand-up comedy. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, Perfect. do you talk about
0: Trump in America and
2: yeah, I do, all I do politics. because I was on Celebrity Apprentice. I know you I were know fired the by the president. Yeah, <laughs> so I do talk about that. <laughs> it's, I, I touch on it. I don't go on and on about it because uh, you know it's just one thing that I, I have like literally hundreds of subjects I talk about in the show. But but um, you have to uh, you have to talk about it just strictly because I know Trump and uh, it'd be impossible to avoid talking about it, given what's going on in the world right now and. um you know, I've I've had to kind of.
0: Do you vote? Are you allowed to vote in America as a Canadian? No, no, I'm not. No. I'm
2: not. A, I'm not allowed to vote in America because I'm 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 a Canadian. I'm yeah. full on Canadian. So I vote in Canada. I'm not uh, American citizen. So you
0: no, have a green card, do you? yeah. Yeah. I have
2: no plans to become an American citizen,
0: especially not now.
2: Uh, you know, it, it's it's not it's not for any dislike of America. Certainly, it's not nothing to do with that. I love America. I lived lived there for seventeen years. If I didn't like the country, I wouldn't stay there. Um, I just I'm proud to be Canadian. You know, it's like you know I, I'm I'm in the United States living there because I you know I I am in entertainment business and Los Angeles is a good place to be for that and uh, and I'm there and I, I do you know I have a, a great home that I've you know lived in for the last fifteen years and uh, I I I don't really. Uh, the weather's great, you know. I do love the weather in California. Beats the weather in Ottawa. But uh, it doesn't make me uh, not proud to be a Canadian. I like having my Canadian passport.
0: Yeah. Marks you out. Yeah. Are you a family man?
2: Uh, well, I don't have any kids. No. No. I Is that don't. on the cards for Tom Green? Uh, may, possibly, yeah. Possibly. Yeah, it, it could happen, I'm sure, at some point. I I, I, I think that I could easily uh, see myself doing that. I'd like to do that, but it's, it's just a matter of... Uh, of uh, when and uh, and how you know I mean I know how I mean <laughs> you know I know how and you still can yes I can yeah yeah obviously yeah this is what you're getting at here yeah 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 absolutely yeah because um, of the testicular cancer yeah they just took the one yeah yeah yeah
0: is reproduction do you think the sole purpose still, uh, why human beings are here
2: no no I don't think so no? no I think the sole purpose for being here is to enjoy your own life. You know, if, if reproduction and having a family, uh, helps you enjoy your own life, then, uh, so be it. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next time we do this, if there will be a next time, I'm up for it. If you are. Yeah. Then we'll go in on uh, more broad subjects. Now, yes. we, now we've done Tom Green. Yeah. And that's covered. We'll talk about the future and the world. Absolutely. And human emotion. I love that. Struggle. Good luck with your show. I think you got a great show here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Congratulations. Was it okay? okay? I know you went down from stuff that you've covered a lot.
2: No, it's okay, yeah. We did did it differently. You you didn't hate it? No, no, I didn't hate it. No, I didn't hate it. I like your jacket. Thanks, man. Frank Zappa and the Beastie Boys. Led Zeppelin, The Wizard of Oz, and Pussy Riot. And The Cure. Thanks, Tom. High five. Thank you, dude. Thank you, everybody. Oh, everybody, go go, uh, follow me on Instagram. Tom Green on Instagram, Uh, Twitter is Tom Green Live, and um, go to TomGreen.com. Just relaunched the website for mobile devices and watch some Tom Green show videos from, uh, from back in the day. Thank you.